Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Ephesians chapter 5. And as we turn to the scriptures this morning, I want to tell you that I stand before you a little nervous this morning, a little fear and trepidation in struggling how to preach this message. Uh, This message is a message about the role of husbands and how husbands are to love their wives. And any time a pastor stands up and talks to other husbands, he looks squarely in the mirror and realizes how much he falls short himself. And so I want you to hear me this morning, husbands, that I don't come to you as an expert. I have not arrived. As a matter of fact, the more I walk with Christ, the more I realize just how uh, short I fall in being the husband God's called me to be. But praise Jesus for the gospel and for his grace. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, You cannot remain neutral in the presence of the cross. It has always divided mankind, and it still does. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is either an offense to us, or else it is the thing above everything else in which we glory. Do we glory in the cross this morning? Paul said in Galatians 6.14, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly, is foolishness, it's moronic to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Now why in the world would I start a message about the role of husbands talking about the cross? Because the cross means everything to the role of a husband. We want to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ this morning. And men, I pray that we find hope in the cross. We don't find hope in ourselves. We don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and try to do this thing on our own. But we look to Jesus and the strength that he gives us in the cross. So let's look together. At Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25, we looked last week at wives. If you missed last week's message, you can go online or go on iTunes and and get that. Let's pick up in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, 
because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now Paul shifts gears here. Last week, he addressed wives. And as we saw last week, when Paul said, wives submit, it's not wives obey, it's this voluntarily yielding of yourself in service and submission to your husband. It's a voluntary thing. And we also saw that the husband, by order of creation, is the head of the wife. God has ordained that from the order of creation. And now Paul gets to this radical statement. You would think that Paul would say, husbands, exercise your leadership. Husbands, make your wives submit. Husbands, do something to let your wives know that you're in charge. But does he do that? He does something very radical. He, he, he almost shocks us because what he says here is, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Don't subordinate your wife. Don't treat her as a second-class citizen, but love your wife. And as we saw last week, because of the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, it has distorted relationships. It's distorted the way that men and women relate to each other in a marriage relationship. And, and what happens is the husband oftentimes wants to do one of two things. He becomes abusive and autocratic and wants to put the hammer down on his wife. That's one extreme. The other extreme is the husband tends to be passive and just sits back and lets the wife lead. Both of those are ungodly. So the question we've got to ask ourselves, husbands, is this morning is what does it mean to be a Christ-centered husband? What does it mean to be a husband that's filled with the Holy Spirit and living a life that glorifies God as a husband? And here's the answer. It's a simple answer, but it scares me half to death. It's the answer. A Christ-centered husband sacrifices everything to lead and to love his wife. A Christ-centered husband sacrifices everything to lead and to love his wife. Now we see it played out in this passage of Scripture really in four different ways. So we're going to explore four primary ways that this looks in the life of a husband. To sacrifice everything, husbands. To lead and to love our wives. So let's look at the first way that we do this. First of all, husbands, we are called to love our wives with an unceasing, selfless type of love. An unceasing and a selfless type of love. Now let's just stop here, and I almost have to apologize that I have to do this, but let's just define love. Can we just define love? Because I don't think our culture understands love. They understand lust, they understand passions, they understand emotions, they understand fickle relationships, but true biblical love our culture does not understand. And so Paul uses a specific word here. He says agapeo. It's the word where we get agape. Husbands, love your wives. 
Now this was so radical because in Paul's day, in the culture in which Paul was writing, in that Greek culture, wives were not the objects of their husband's love. They had prostitutes for that. As a matter of fact, Apollodorus has written about the state of wives in that culture. He said this, he says, We have courtesans for pleasure, handmaidens for the day-to-day care of the body, wives to bear legitimate children, and to be the trusted guardian of the house. In Paul's culture, if you wanted to have pleasure, you got a prostitute. If you wanted to um, have your needs met, you got a courtesan. You had a mistress. But your wife, basically, she was a utilitarian person that basically bore your children and took care of your home. No love relationship there in Paul's culture. So Paul is radical to the original culture saying, Husbands, you love your wives with this selfless, sacrificial type of of love. Now, in the Jewish world, it wasn't much better. In the Jewish culture, and if you go back and, and look at the Jewish world of Paul's day, you could divorce your wife for any reason. You didn't like her cooking? I'm gonna divorce her. She got fat and wrinkly? I'm going to divorce her. You could put your wife away, and there would, be no, there would be no problem in doing that. And so Paul comes along as this radical, radical person, and he says, listen, husbands, there's this type of love that you're to love your wives with. It's a radical, it's an unceasing, it's a sacrificial type of love. It's, it's a love that seeks her good as the highest thing in your life, not so much about your emotions. Yes, emotions play a part in that, but ultimately this type of love, the Greek word there, means a will. You make the choice to love her in this radical way. And men, let me just say this. You can't learn this type of love by reading a book. You can't go get a little owner's manual like you do a car and say, how do I love my wife with this type of love? This is not something you find within yourselves, men. If it was, life would be a lot easier, but it's not. We're sinners. So the only way we can love our wives with this type of sacrificial love comes from the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the power of Christ in us. And so here's what we need to do, husbands and wives. We need to get rid of the romanticism that says that marriage is easy. That my Prince Charming's going to come in on a white horse and he's going to make life perfect for me. Get rid of that idea right now. Couples, if you're looking to get married and you're wanting the other person to complete you and to meet all your needs, get rid of that idea right now. There's this romanticism out there that says that, that I can just have this gushy type of love where everything's just going to work out and it's going to be a fairy tale ending like the end of the movie and everything's just, the curtain's going to close and the credits are going to roll and things are going to be perfect. That's not real life. Now, notice, man, I I said get rid of the romanticism. I didn't say get rid of the romance. Romanticism. Keep the romance. You've got to keep the romance going. Now, go back up to verse 18, our flow of thought. I want to keep taking us back to verse 18 because this is the flow of thought for husbands and wives' relationship. Back up in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This comes with being Spirit-filled, being Spirit-controlled. You can love your wives this way, husbands, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us, giving us the strength to be able to do this. Now, I want you to notice something about this, this verb here. Husbands, love your wives. It's in the present tense, in the original language. Husbands, 
Keep on continually as a lifestyle pursuing your wife. Keep on constantly loving your wife. Don't just love her at one point in time. It wasn't on that stage where you said, I do, that you promised to love her. It's a lifestyle of, of, of unceasingly pursuing her. Now, husbands, think about this. When you dated your wife, you pursued her, didn't you? I mean, you made sure that, that she was number one, and you went to great lengths to woo her and to gain her and to get her and to do all these things. You were, you were diligent. But what happens after you got married? You weren't that diligent, were you? You weren't that pursuing of your wife. You did not pursue her. You, did, you, you don't take a lot of time and energy to, to love her. You know, it's very interesting one of the greatest needs of a woman is to be pursued by her husband. To know that she's wanted, to know that she's loved, to know that she is cherished, to be pursued. And men, I think sometimes we're clueless about this issue of pursuing our wives. We think that, okay, we're married and we've, we've gotten her and she's ours and, and now we can just sit back and coast and not, not pursue her anymore. Do you guys know why the Twilight movie series is so popular? I mean, it's a dumb movie. I saw the first one. I thought, what, what, is, what is the deal with Twilight? Why is there four or five of them? What's the deal with this white vampire that everybody seems to fall in love with? What's the deal with this Twilight series? Well, do you know what the deal is? You, you, you go look at magazines and you go look at write-ups about it. Girls and women flock to that movie because the vampire pursued the girl. And these women are saying, if, they, if you look at some of these statistics and things that have come out about this movie, they're saying, I want to be pursued like that. And I'm not getting that from my husband. So I'm going to go watch a movie about a white pasty vampire who's pursuing a girl <laughs> to get my thrill. Husbands, are we setting the tone to pursue our wives constantly? unceasingly as a lifestyle are you doing this are you making the goals and priorities and and dreams of your wife your highest priority are you pursuing them the only way we can be motivated to do that is to look at jesus which comes to our second big issue for this morning so the first big issue is is the the, the word that paul uses here in the original language love is this ongoing ceaseless unselfish, giving, pursuing type of lifestyle of love. But number two, our ultimate model. Our ultimate model for loving our wives is found in the sacrificial death of Christ our Lord. Notice what verse 25 says. Husbands, keep on continually as a lifestyle loving your wives. As, comparison here, how are we to do this, husbands? As Christ loved, past tense, the church, and gave himself up for her. So what was the ultimate expression of Jesus Christ loving the church and giving himself up for her? Well, it's in the cross. The cross. Now, husbands, you don't recreate the cross, okay? You don't die for the sins of your wife. You don't redeem your wife. You don't somehow propitiate God's wrath on behalf of your wife. You're not called to recreate the cross, but you're called to imitate the love that was demonstrated on that cross for your wife. And notice what it says there. Jesus gave 
himself up. Jesus voluntarily gave himself up. Did God the Father force Jesus to go to the cross? No. Jesus went there willingly, voluntarily. He made the volitional choice to say, I'm going to go down there and die for sinners that do not deserve it because I love them. Listen to what Jesus says in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then down in verse 17 and 18, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. And so Jesus is saying, I have the authority to voluntarily lay down my life for the sheep. I'm giving myself up voluntarily. And so men, do we have that voluntary, I'm going to voluntarily do this? No one's twisting my arm no one's got a gun to my head. I'm making the choice to voluntarily love my wife. And notice what also it says there. Jesus gave himself up for her. For. There's power in that great little word for. It means on behalf of. It means as a substitute for. It's this whole idea that Jesus died in the place of sinners. Let me just share with you some great news this morning. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you know you're a sinner and you know that you stand separated from God and you know that if you're to die, you're going to spend eternity in hell and you know that you can't save yourself and you can't forgive yourself and you've tried all different ways to somehow make it right with God, let me give you some good news this morning from Romans chapter 5, 6 through 8. Listen to the word of the Lord. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise the Lord that he didn't wait for us to get our act together before he died for us. Because I stand before you and tell you that I deserve a thousand hells because of the way I've rebelled against my Savior. And the fact that Jesus saved me while I was still a sinner shows me that he is a God of immense grace and immense forgiveness. And he gave himself up for the church. And so husbands, you don't recreate the cross. You model it. So you have to ask yourselves a question. Okay, if I'm to love my wife, the way that Jesus loved us on the cross, what does that look like? How does that practically work its way out? Well, let me give you three ways that Jesus loved us on the cross. And man, these are three ways that we are to love our wives. First of all, Christ's love on the cross for the church was an unconditional love. An unconditional love. Now, have you ever thought about this? Why in the world would Jesus Christ want to marry the church? Were we all that? Were we beautiful? Were we glorious? Was there anything intrinsically good within us as his people that would make Christ want to come down and say, you are worthy of my salvation because you're such good people? No, Christ came and died for those that were rebels. There's nothing within us that makes 
Christ want to love us. He loves us in spite of who we are and says, I'm going to look down at your sin. I'm going to look down at your shame. I'm going to look down at all the junk in your life, and I'm going to choose to love you when you do not deserve to be loved. I'm going to give myself up for you when you do not deserve it. And so husbands, let's think about this. Do we love our wives in that type of way? Do we love our wives? What happens, husbands, when you say, you know what? She doesn't meet my physical needs anymore. So there's a condition. I will love you if you do this. Or what happens if the wrinkles set in? Or the pounds set in? Or she gets a debilitating disability? Or she... Something happens, and you begin to put conditions on your relationship with your wife, and you say, I'm going to love you if you do this for me. If you don't do this for me, I will not love you. That is not a Christ type of love. That is a love that has strings attached to it that says, I'm going to love you if you meet my needs. Husbands, let's just give you a newsflash. Is your wife always going to be there to meet your physical needs? No. Is she always going to be there to meet your emotional needs? No. If you start putting conditions upon her of what she has to do to somehow meet your needs, you are not loving her in an unconditional way. Think about this. What if Christ loved us with conditions? What if Jesus said, you know what? I know I died on the cross for your sins, but you've sinned one too many times. It's over. You've done one too many bad things you're out of here. How would we like it if Jesus treated us that way? You see, the world doesn't understand this type of love. The world does not understand unconditional love because the world says, you give so that I can get. It's a give and take. It's what you can offer me. And Jesus condemns this type of love. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 46 and 47. Jesus says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus is saying, yeah, the world understands loving those that love you back. But men, we are called to love our wives even when she does not deserve our love at times because that's the way Christ loved us. But number two, Christ's death on the cross was an exclusive love. It's a discriminant love. Jesus did not lay down his life for the goats. He laid down his life for the sheep. It was a particular exclusive love that Jesus had for his people when he died on that cross. How would you like it, husbands and church members, if I said this? I love all the women in this church in exactly the same way that I love Dawn. Would you think I was a little weird? Now, am I supposed to love all the women in this church? Yes. We used to say it growing up in God's way. I love you in God's way. You know, like, I love you in a, a God type of love. But am I supposed to have the same intimate, exclusive, personal love with every woman in this church the way that I have with my wife? No, I'm supposed to show her a specific, targeted, exclusive love that's reserved only for her. 
And so, husbands, you are to love your wives with a particular exclusive love, the way that Jesus had when he died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he got what he paid for. In Acts 20, 28, it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. What did Jesus obtain? He obtained the church. What did he say when he died on the cross? What did he cry out? It is started. It is available. It is hypothetical. What did he say? It is finished. He got what he paid for. And what Jesus paid for was the church. And Jesus has an exclusive, powerful, laser-sharp, focused love for the church. In the same way husbands were to have a laser-sharp, focused, exclusive love for our wives that we have for no other person on this planet. So it's an unconditional love. It's an exclusive love. But it's also a sanctifying love. Notice verse 26. And this is speaking of Jesus, that Jesus might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, what's going on here is that Jesus, when he died for the church, the word set apart there, the word to, to sanctify her, means to set the church apart as a unique possession. And how did Jesus do that? He washed her with the word. And so it's this whole image that Jesus has set apart his bride. He's made the bride beautiful. He's making the bride beautiful so that on that day when Jesus comes back, we will be ready to, to enjoy heaven forever with him and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so what Jesus did is he took sinners that were dirty and stained, like we sang earlier, and he cleansed us with his blood and he made us beautiful. Now, husbands, your job is not to somehow, again, recreate the cross. You don't sanctify your wife in the sense that you are the one that, that um, somehow washes her or cleanses her or makes her right with God. But, husbands, how are you to imitate what Jesus does? What does Jesus do here? He's making his bride beautiful. Now, husbands, most of you would not marry your wives if you didn't think they were physically beautiful. But husbands, we are called to love our wives in such a way that it draws out her inner beauty. It draws out her radiance, her gloriousness. Husbands, do you love your wives in such a way that she feels honored, that she feels loved, that she has a position of privilege in your house to know that you put her on a pedestal, not above Christ, but that she knows that you have her affections that she's honored in the home and that she feels radiant, she feels glorious, she feels worthy because you have put her in that position of cherishing her and that she radiates that to the rest of the world. And husbands, this means we need to know our wife's specific needs. Do you know your wife in such a way that you can draw out that inner beauty? Notice verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. It says there, husbands should love their wives. That's a moral imperative. In other words, husbands, whether we like it or not, we are under divine obligation by God himself to love our wives. 
when we don't feel like it, when they don't deserve it, we are under obligation to love them. When times are tough. Now, notice what Jesus does. He washes her with the word. Husbands, can I just tell you what one of your primary goals is as husband? Husbands, hear this loud and clear. It is not Beth Moore's responsibility to be the primary sanctifier of your wife or myself or any other teacher or preacher. Husbands, you are to be the primary person in your wife's life to ensure her spiritual growth. You're to wash her with the word, which means that you are to be the one that's discipling your wife, leading your wife, training your wife, praying with your wife, making sure that your wife is growing. Now, I'm not downplaying Beth Moore, and I'm not downplaying my role as pastor, but husbands, you've got the primary role to make sure that your wife is growing spiritually. That's your job. That's your job. Now, Brian Chapel in his book, Each for the Other, states this. To love your wife when her failures cause you hurt, to cherish her at the very moment you believe that someone else can satisfy you more, is to be Christ to her. Such love shows that God's regard extends beyond good reasons and becomes the ultimate confirmation of her worth when all else screams her worthlessness. Jesus Christ is our model, husbands, to love our wives with a sacrificial, unconditional, exclusive, and sanctifying love. Number three, the big issue this morning. Husbands, we're called to love our wives just as we love our very own bodies. That's what he says there in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it just because Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. You know, God has inherently wired us to take care of ourselves, men. We take care of ourselves. We, we, we eat we exercise, we, we wash ourselves, we, we take care of ourselves. And the reason that we take care of our wives in that way is that she's bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. When you come together, husbands and wives, as a one flesh union, yes, two individuals coming together, but you're coming together as one flesh. And so, husband, you've joined yourself to that wife. And you're to love her the way that you love and take care of your very own body. And what Paul says, is he, gives, he gives two ways that we do this. You look there in verse 29, he, he, he uses two verbs. For no one ever hates his, his own flesh, but number one, nourishes it, and number two, cherishes it. Now, what does it mean, nourish? What does it mean, nourish your wife? To nourish his wife. It means to bring to maturity. To bring to maturity. Men, are you helping or are you hindering your wife's maturity? Under your godly leadership in the home, is your wife flourishing? Is she growing? Is she maturing? Or is she stagnating? Is your house a greenhouse for her to grow? Or does a cesspool for her to stagnate? Under your leadership. Think of all the things that you need for basic survival. What, what do we need, men? We need food, we need exercise, we need protection from disease. And think about what, we ha what happens when, if you don't exercise, what happens to your muscles? They atrophy. 
What happens when you don't exercise at nourishing your wives, husband? Sheen atrophies. You know what the hardest thing is for men? And you guys will all agree with me. Communication. Has there been time you're talking with your wife and you're like, I don't understand her. I can't get into her head and figure out what she's thinking. I don't know what she means. And then your wife wants you to be what, men? A mind reader. Men, we're not mind readers. Women, we're not mind readers. We're, we're clueless, okay? Cut us some slack. Husbands, we are clueless. Oftentimes, we don't know how to communicate. And wives are wired to communicate and to feel and to emote. And husbands, we're just not there, are we? We like to talk about stuff. But when it comes to feelings and emotions and, and prying into the inner recesses of our wife's soul, we have a hard time doing that. So it takes hard work for us to communicate, does it not? Communication is really hard for us as men. Now here's what happens when you have lack of communication. I, my mother sent me an email many years ago that I think is, illustrates what happens when there's a lack of communication. So I'm going to read you some famous quotes by people, and I want you to see if you can understand what they're saying. Okay? This is from Brooke Shields during an interview to become a spokesman for the federal anti-smoking campaign, okay? Smoking kills. If you're killed, you've lost a very important part of your life. Miss Alabama, 1994, in the Miss USA contest. Here's the question she was asked. If you could live forever, would you and why? Miss Alabama, I would not live forever because we should not live forever because if we were supposed to live forever, then we would live forever, but we cannot live forever, which is why I would not live forever. Mayor Marion Barry, former mayor of Washington, D.C. Outside of the killings, Washington has one of the lowest crime rates in the country. <laughs> former Vice President Al Gore. It isn't pollution that's harming the environment. It's the impurities in our air and water that are doing it. This is my favorite. The Department of Social Services, Greenville, South Carolina. This is a letter sent to a person about their food stamps. Your food stamps will be stopped effective March 1992 because we received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. You may reapply if there's a change in your circumstances. <laughs> Sometimes, what was the old, what's the old TV show? What we've got here is a failure to communicate. So husbands, the way we nourish our wives is to, to facilitate that communication. And again, I, I, I'm clueless at this, guys. I'm not standing up here as an expert um, there's many times where I, have, I struggle just like you do. It's only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we can learn to do this. I can't give you a magic bullet. It's hard work, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can give us the strength to do that. Now, the second thing Paul tells us in this little, this little verse here, not only to nourish our wives, but to cherish them. Literally, in the original language, it means to keep them warm. But, but figuratively, it's this whole idea of tenderness, compassion, encouraging them. Do you know, husbands, the unique anxieties and fears and stresses that your wife alone has? Do you know her unique issues? You know, men, one of the greatest needs that your wife has, and they will tell you this, and most of the wives, when I say this, you'll be nodding with me. One of the greatest needs that your wife has is security. Wives, am I right there? To know that she is taken care of emotionally, Physically, spiritually, financially, a wife needs to know that her husband is taking care of her. She needs to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you value her 
above all human relationships, even the children. There's such a thing as a child-centered home where the child becomes the focus. No child should have priority over a husband and wife relationship. She, you two are one flesh. God has called you together. Okay, fourthly, and this is where it gets very, very mysterious. Here's the fourth thing about marriage and the husband's call to love his wife. A marriage between a husband and a wife is a visible and mysterious expression of Christ's marriage with the church. It's a visible and mysterious expression. Now, why do I use the word mysterious? What does Paul say here? Verse 30. Because we are members of his body, verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul says it's a mystery. This word mysterion, this Greek word mystery, shows up five times in the book of Ephesians. What's a mystery? Is it like Velma and Shaggy and Scooby getting in the mystery machine and going searching for clues? No. Mystery means something was hidden or veiled or covered in the Old Testament, and yet with the coming of Christ, with his death, burial, and resurrection, it comes into full light. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what's the mystery Paul's talking about here? Is it the one flesh union between a husband and a wife or they're to come together as one flesh? Is that the mystery? No, because that was revealed in the third chapter of, or the second chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 teaches the one flesh union of a husband and wife. Abraham knew that. Moses knew that. David knew that. All the Old Testament people understood the, the mystical union of a husband and wife that come together as one flesh. What's the mystery? It wasn't like God was up in heaven and said, hmm, husband and wife, that's a really cool relationship. As a matter of fact, it's so cool that I think I'll pattern something after it. I think I'll pattern Jesus in the church after what I see in a husband and a wife. Which came first, Christ and his church or husband and wife? In time, husband and wife came first, but in eternity past, God's plan from the very beginning was that marriage was to be a picture of Christ and his church. That's the mystery. The mystery is that your marriage, my marriage, and this is what scares me to death, men, our marriages are to be a visible picture of the gospel. We are to be putting on display what Jesus and the church look like. That's a profound implication husbands and how you live your lives in marriage when you begin to see that my marriage is not just to exist for me but my marriage is to be a visible picture of christ and his church it raises the ante on how you're to do that and here's the issue because of our view or at least my view of eternal security and the permanence of christ and his church divorce becomes a rupturing of God's intentional design for marriage. Listen to Mark 10, 8 through 9. Jesus says, They shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Notice the wording that Jesus says there. Who's joined people together in marriage? God. Now, when I stand and I perform a marriage between a husband and wife, I'm the officiator of the marriage, but I'm not performing the marriage. God is performing the marriage. 
He's putting the husband and the wife together. And, and Jesus says, let man not separate. Now let me think about this for a moment. Does Jesus ever divorce his church? Does Jesus ever leave or forsake his church? No, he doesn't. Jesus right now in heaven is purifying and sanctifying and getting his bride ready for that day. And so husbands and wives, that's why we need to fight like heaven. Fight like heaven to keep marriages together. Because what it does is it shows a picture of Christ in his church. And let me just stop because a lot of you are sitting there thinking, I've been divorced. I've got guilt in my heart for being divorced. And I've experienced the pain and the brutality and, and, and the ripping apart of divorce. And let me just tell you this morning, divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Divorce doesn't mean that you've lost all your chips with God and that your life is going to be terrible and somehow God can't use you, God can't forgive you. Let me just tell you this, there's hope in the gospel that if you've been divorced, God can redeem you, God can cleanse you, God can get you back on the path, God can redeem your your, your life. It's painful, yes. It's hard, yes. But don't beat yourself up and think that just because I'm divorced, I'm a second-class citizen, or somehow I can't be used by God. That's not God's intention, okay? I'm not saying divorce is right. Now, there's some situations where Jesus gives us possibly an out, marital unfaithfulness and abandonment, and I understand all that. What I'm saying is that in our culture, it seems like it's easier for people to get a divorce than to work at it. And what I want you to think about is two things. Number one, fight like heaven to keep it together because it's a picture of Christ and his church. And number two, if you have experienced divorce, remember it's not the unforgivable sin. It is forgiven by Christ and he can redeem that. Now, if you're like me, husbands, I feel beat up after a message like this. I've been struggling with this all week. And you you think to yourself, okay, okay, this is what you're calling me to do? There's no way on earth I can do this. I cannot do this. I cannot do this consistently. I cannot do this wholeheartedly. I physically, emotionally, spiritually can't do what the Bible is calling me to do. Man, are you there? Am I the only one raising my hand here? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'll be the only one up here raising my hand. But here's the beauty of the gospel, man. You and I can't do this. We can't. We'll fool ourselves if we think we can do it. But praise be to God, we have a Savior that's not only our model, but He's our Savior. And when we fail, I bet you we will. Many, many times, man, we will fail. We look back at the cross. And we get our knees before our sovereign Savior and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me when I didn't deserve it. Thank you for giving me the grace to move forward. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me your Holy Spirit. I can't do this thing called being a husband, but you can through me. And so I'm going to surrender myself to you. I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. I'm going to look to you, and I'm going to pray like crazy that you cultivate this in me. Sometimes husbands say, you know, This is pretty radical, Sean. You have to, like, die for your wife? 
And most men would be like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a bullet for my wife. I'll die for my wife. An intruder comes in the house, I will die for my wife. And we like to think about it in the abstract, right? I'm going to die for my wife. What if I were to tell you that dying for your wife is not some dramatic thing at the end of your life where you take a bullet for her? What if I told you that dying for your wife means every day making a choice to die to your dreams and your desires to seek the ultimate good of your wife? take up your cross daily and to follow Christ and die to your desires and die to your needs and die to your wants, to experience a, a death to your ego and your pride every day, to pursue and seek the greatest good of your wife. Man, I guarantee you this, and I don't often give guarantees, but I will guarantee this. Maybe I shouldn't give 100% guarantee because there's ex- exceptions, but in general principle, if you love like this, Submission is usually not an issue. So how do you love this way, men? How do you love this way? The only thing I can tell you is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Men, please don't look at a manual. Don't look at a video series. Don't look at a book to be the magic bullet. Don't look at yourself. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's in heaven right now as your advocate. He bought and paid for you. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the strength. And when you don't have the strength, when you don't have the power, that's exactly where God wants you to be because it's in those times that that you're strong. When you're weak, then you're strong. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And men, when you fail, because I guarantee it, man, this is a guarantee. I'll give you a 100% guarantee on this. You will fail your wife today. And maybe even in the car on the way to the restaurant, you'll fail your wife today. And you'll fail your wife tomorrow. And you'll fail her the next day. Look to the cross. Find hope. Find strength in what Jesus Christ alone did there for you to love you and to purchase you. The last thing I want you to feel, men, as you walk out of this place is guilt. Because you can feel real guilty after a service like this. I want you to feel hope because of Christ and who Christ is and what Christ has done. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And men, I'm going to ask you to think deeply this morning about your relationship with your wife. Are there areas in which you need to repent this morning? Are there areas in which you need to change? So often, men, we want our wives to be the ones that change. We want our wives to do this or them to do that. If they just did this, we would be this way. And Lord, I'm not saying we don't address things with our wives, but... Maybe there's a a plank in our own eye that we need to remove. 
Would you spend some time this morning, husbands, going before the throne of the Savior who has died for you and stands ready to forgive you, ready to strengthen you, ready to flood you with his presence? And wives, let me ask you this. When was the last time you specifically prayed for your husband to be the godly leader you've called him to be, that God's called him to be? Wives, spend some time praying for your husband. Not praying for his, for his habits or his idiosyncrasies or all those things you want to change in him. Pray for him to experience the fullness of what God has for him. And maybe you're in this room this morning and you're single or you're widowed or you're divorced. Would you find comfort in the cross for your situation this morning and would you just be praying for husbands? Maybe you're going to be a husband one day or maybe you're going to be married to a husband one day. Would you pray for the men in this church that they would be godly men that love their wives and lead their families and sacrifice all? So let's spend some time in prayer going before our great God, finding grace in his throne room. Father, when we as husbands look at this passage of Scripture, it, it should scare us. And, and it does, Father. It's a high and holy calling to love our wives this way. And we can't avoid it, God, because it's in the Scripture and it's a command. But praise be to you, Father, that you sent your one and only Son to come and die on the cross for us that we might be able to have the ability and power and grace to love this way. Jesus, thank you for amazing grace. Thank you for strength. Thank you for power. Thank you for forgiveness when we fail. Lord, none of us as men in this room are where we need to be. I know I'm not where I need to be. I know I, I'm not loving my wife and leading her in the spiritual, godly way that you've called me to do it. Uh, in the consistent way that you would have us, Lord. So help us to repent in areas that we need to repent. Help us to ask forgiveness in areas that we need to ask forgiveness. Help us to change. Holy Spirit, produce the fruit in our lives to change. Father, help us as men to be the ones to, to lead the change and not expect our wives to take the lead. We've got to step up to the plate, Father, and lead and love and set the tone. Father, again, I pray for marriages in this very room right now that may be on the brink of destruction. Don't know what issues there are that are going on, but Lord, maybe there are couples in this church right now that are hiding the issue, and Lord, they're just struggling. Lord, help them not to, to go this alone and help them not to cocoon into their own private um, isolation, but help them to seek out help, help seek out counseling, to seek out a brother or sister in Christ or, or one of the pastors or elders here at Emmanuel to, to walk through them, this with them. 
Father, we need your grace. We all need your grace. We need your forgiveness. Thank you that you give that to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.